Welcome to the Leadership Window podcast with Dr. Patrick Jinks. Each week through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and a professional speaker. And now, here's Dr. Patrick Jinks. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 66 of the Leadership Window. Glad to have you along. Happy spring. Happy May. Uh, Great episode today. We're going to move kind of quick, and I'll tell you why. Because we're going to a baseball game. Got my good friend Charles Weathers here. If you are listening, I know if you're listening from anywhere in the state of South Carolina, you know exactly who who this is. And uh, if not, you're about to find out and you're going to wish, you're going to wonder, how did I not know this guy? Um, all over the place. Charles is a, a great friend. He is uh, almost two decades now doing this work. And uh, it's the Weathers Group. And we share some similar spaces. We also do a few things a little differently. We've got some unique things and we've got a lot in common in terms of what we're doing. We live pretty close to each other. So Charles is able to come over and <laughs> get in the studio. And, uh, and uh, yeah, we're planning on see if the weather holds up. We're going to go see the, see the Columbia Fireflies play. Even though they're a Kansas City Royals uh, team, that's okay. I'm going to be in good company. That's going to be what makes it work. Charles, man, welcome back. So glad you're here, man. Good to be back, Patrick. Thank you so much. Excited to be here and excited to go to the game tonight if the weather holds up. We live like, what, five miles from each other or something like that? I don't We live close. and 4.7 miles, I believe. <laughs> okay, you just found out. Right. <laughs> uh, I... Um, we don't get together enough and that's because we're both flying in a million different directions and every once in a while we get to cross paths and mm-hmm. it's really cool. Mm-hmm. I hear about you all the time, you know, everywhere I'm out there say, oh, yeah, Charles weathers this and we, and Charles is doing this and oh yeah, I talked to Charles. And so I hear about you all the time and, um, I always hear, always hear good things. Um, some of our shared friends and people that we work with, mm-hmm. um, everyone just thinks so highly of you. And I remember when I came, to South Carolina, uh, it was it was real clear uh, who who I needed to sort of watch in action. You've taught me so much, Charles, in my work, and I appreciate it. And I just thought we'd get together and catch, just have a, like a little conversation. I don't, we don't have an we don't have an agenda. We don't have a script. We just can let's just check in with each no other. No agenda, just checking in. And Patrick, you know, thank you for everything you said, and I feel the exact same way about you. Phenomenal work you're doing. Congratulations, Doctor Jinx. Oh yeah, uh, that's a big deal, man. That's that's a big deal. That's well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, right. You it, know. <laughs> it is it is when you're doing it, and it's like okay, yeah, all right. So you know, no good work. Not, you, you not the, the, thank you're you. a student of the craft. You're a student of the craft, and that's a great thing. We are students, aren't we? Yes, I, we I are. you know, I I always feel like, man, if I stop learning, how depressing will that be? Never, never. We we can't. We can't. Every day we're doing something. We have to continually sharpen our saw to help the clients and the people in the communities out. What's unfortunate for me, and we're about the same age, what's, un- what's unfortunate for me is how I'm realizing now mm-hmm. how little I know. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like for so many years, you think you, you, first of all, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, man, I knew it all. I knew everything. And I don't mean, I don't mean 16 to 18. I mean, like in my thirties, man, I was just, cause I was doing it. You know, I was, I had a, I had a, I had a good job. I had a good mm-hmm. family. You know, I, mm-hmm. I had some gifts and talents. I thought, oh man, I, I got this. I know stuff. And, and you look at other people and you, I, you know, I criticized, I, 
I, I thought, man, I can do that so much better. And man, now it's like, I don't know anything. Not a thing, Patrick. I, I, I approach every space now with a teachable spirit, a teachable posture. What am I here to learn from somebody today? I'm just open, man. Mm. I don't know anything. The more I keep my mouth closed, my ears open, the better I am. Well, that's, that's why, <laughs> what I love about coaching is, you know, I, and I think it's why it fits me so well is mm-hmm. I, I've, I realized I don't have to have the, in fact, I don't have the answers. Some people do. I don't have them. And so coaching is a whole different thing because it draws the answers out that's rather right. than put the answers on somebody. And at, I don't know. That, maybe that's why it works for me. And I know you yeah. you cross over. You do some consulting. You do some coaching. Mm-hmm. But I, I know you think the same way. Absolutely. And, you know, Patrick, you don't have the answers and neither do I. But one thing I can say about you is you do know the questions. And, <laughs> and isn't it amazing? I mean, have you ever seen in a coaching situation you ask one question and the floodgates just open? And it's, and it's not a deep question. No, no. It's the questions we, for some reason, can't pause and ask ourselves. That's right. Why, why is that? You know, it's mm-hmm. like, they're simple questions. You can, it's like, well, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Boom. It's opened up. <laughs> uh, I, I tell, I told this story, I've told this story a lot, um, of a, of a coach I was coaching and she asked me, should I, sh-, it was one of those, should I questions? Mm-hmm. Should I do something? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what would be the upsides and the downsides? Mm-hmm. Got real quiet. Right. She goes, you're right. You're right. I'm right. You're what, right. What do you mean? I'm right. What did I say? I just asked a question. <laughs> she knew it in her head. She already knew the answer, right? She needed the question to unlock that answer and give herself permission to say it. And it, it was just so incredible that way. But yeah, it's the simple, it's the simple questions. Uh, Dr. Jim Smith taught me a great, uh, you, you know who I know, you know who he is. I don't mm-hmm. think you've met him, but he is, a. Uh, 30 year coach and trainer at CCL and he runs leadership systems is where I got my coaching certification. <laughs> Jim right. taught me, Jim taught us uh, that when you get stuck in coaching and you don't know the next question to ask, mm-hmm. this is so cool. Um, I, I'll guarantee you, you'll use this now that, you know, if you haven't already, right. I will now pause and I will say, Charles, if you were coaching someone like you in this situation, what's the next question you would ask? <laughs> Brilliant. Literally, Brilliant. literally ask them, what they need to be asked mm-hmm. and they will tell you it's unbelievable. Really? They'll go say, well, I guess I'd probably ask, you know, what is it I'm really afraid of? I said, okay, let's go with that. What right. are you afraid of? And it just, it, so you're right. The questions yeah. unlock it, but they're not, it's not like you have to have these deep questions. You just have to pay attention just and pay be attention. curious. That's right. I had someone have, they said, I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, if you don't, <laughs> I don't. Patrick, they said, I don't know what to do. And I said, if you did know what to do, what would it be? What would it be? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they all, I said, it would be this. I said, well, let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, how do you think that would play out? <laughs> right. You know? It, yeah. It really is amazing because you can't, I, I don't want to own that. No. You know, when, when I'm asked, you know, and I get this a lot, even in strategic planning, you know, mm-hmm. well, should we do this? Should we do that? You know, what's your thought on this? And my answer is, look, I don't, I don't want to own it. You don't want me to own that no. because I'm the last person in this room that actually knows about your business. That's right. You, you're the one that knows your business. That's right. So let's talk it through. And uh, anyway, what's, um, what's some of the latest things you're working on? What kind of projects are you working on these days? You know, it's interesting right now, as I talk about the projects I'm working on, I have to add to this as we're in this next variation of COVID or whatever we're calling this phase we're in right now. I don't even know what it is, Patrick. I know it's not post COVID, but I don't know what it's calling, but I'll tell you this, my travel is picking back up. Mm -hmm, Me too. And so number one, even before I get to my projects, I've got to learn how to travel again. I don't know about you, but I forgot how to travel, Patrick. I mean, (laughs) how to pack, how to prepare, 
it's different working on the road than it is working in my office at home. Yeah, very different. It's a different level of efficiency that I'm dealing with, so to speak, and that's interesting right now for us as well. So that is an interesting thing we're going through. But in terms of projects we're working on right now, working with a lot of state associations, Mm. different types of associations, a lot of ag business right now, agricultural work that we're doing. Really? And some government work as well. And the common theme through this right now is really helping people explore their most pressing problems. Folks really need help, somebody to help cultivate a space for them to have that deep dialogue. Mm-hmm. Not the answer, yeah. but the space for them to think, consider, explore. That's what they're looking at. Whether yeah. government, agricultural business, law firms, these are all the folks working with right now, but that's the common element in all of them. You are someone who specializes, I think this is fair to say, in helping people have conversations. That'd be fair to say, yes. What what is what, what would you say are the you know the, the two or three tenets of that 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 sort of like you say, discussing the challenges that they're facing right now or some of the difficult conversations, whether it's around race or whether it's around COVID or politics or the business mm-hmm. or what's next. Mm-hmm. What are, what are some of those tenets that you help teach people on how to have the meaningful conversation? If you had to sum it up. I, I would sum it up and say this. Value the relationship more than you'd value what you have mm-hmm. to say. Mm-hmm. Value the relationship. Because we all want results. There's some result we're trying to achieve individually or as a team or as an organization. But those results do not take place unless you have relationships. And strong relationships are grounded in strong, deep conversations. And so when I value what I have to say more than I'm in relationship with you, Patrick, I'll say anything. Mm-hmm. But when I value you, it helps me to kind of check myself as I'm talking. Mm. It makes all the difference in the world when I value the relationship. I have nothing to add to that, except I, it's amazing how many people have come on this show and said exactly that. Really? Yeah. I think, you know, I know um, we, I know one uh, uh, common friend we have is Ron Harvey. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ron came, Ron was on a couple of months ago and, and, uh, I loved what Ron said. He said, nothing in this world happens without a connection. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about relationships and every, every conversation we had, mm-hmm. I, I tested Ron out. I had some, some, uh, coaching challenges that I was being challenged with at the time. And I said, right. how would you handle this? And All right, how would you handle this question? And how right. would you handle this one? And every answer he gave, though, he didn't say relationship. It all circled back around to that. It's like everything you can connect everything back to everything, the relationship, whether it's authentic or, or superficial, it connects back to the health, the strength, the depth of the relationship. I'm with you on that. And, and, and I got to tell you, my friend, and you may have seen this as well. It's nothing worse than watching a leader struggle to manage and build a team when they're not in relationship with their team members and will try to do any and everything else other than engage in relationships and even calling Patrick and calling Charles, calling the coach, calling the consultant. We can't be that relationship for you. That is very true. And tell me if you, if you find this to be true, Mm -hmm. I find that a lot of them don't know it. They they think they have relationships. Yes, they do. And, but then when you ask their people, their people say, I don't know, there's not a warmth there. There's not a, there's not a connection. I mean, you know, they're fine, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. One of the things that we're finding right now, this goes back to one of the tenets of communication. What I've been telling people lately, leadership is not only hard work or head work. It is heart work. Invite your head and your heart to the table. Bring your head and your heart into the conversation. Bring your head and your heart into work. Your competency is important, but your compassion is just as important. And in today's environment, our team members don't just want our leadership. They want our engagement. Man, that's good. OK, but you and I both work in a sector 
where compassion is off the charts. I can tell you that almost every 360 I do on uh, motivators, mm-hmm. assessments that mm-hmm. I do with CEOs that I coach, mm-hmm. the there's seven dimensions of, of motivation and one of them is altruism. Right. The altruism is off the charts. Mm-hmm. People are in this work because they, they you know, they're, they're not in this to become millionaires. That's, th- right. that's for sure. And so it, I think it's more than just platitude when yes. people say, I want to make a difference. That's why I do this. Right. So they do, they want to make a difference. And what I find sometimes is, yeah, the head is there and the heart isn't. I, I want to say, hmm, you've got me thinking, cause I want to say more often than not, the heart is there. Mm-hmm. And the head is not caught up. You know, it's like people who, for example, have underperforming employees Mm -hmm. and they tolerate it for years Mm -hmm. and it goes on because they have the, they have so much heart. They can't, they can't pull that trigger. And the head uh, that's saying, I'm a steward of this mission and I have something that's impeding the mission and I'm not Mm -hmm. dealing with. I don't know. What do you I've, think? I've seen both ends. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've seen both ends, and I would agree with that. I, no pushback for me at all. I will say this, though. When it comes to the heart and compassion, quite frankly, Patrick, I see a lot of leaders who have more compassion for the clients they serve in the mission than the people who are doing the work to achieve that mission. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, that, and that's the key right there. And, and so I think that, yes, the head has to be there and the heart. It is both and, not either or. Uh, Michael and Audrey Sahota. We're on the show. And Charles, if you don't have this book, you would love it. Okay. Uh, Leading Beyond Change was their book. And they're, they're, they're on the show uh, a few months ago. Okay. And their whole tenant, and they're not the only ones, but mm-hmm. they hit hard on employees first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not customer first, not donor first, not client first, not beneficiary, employee first. Because if you get that right, mm-hmm. they'll take care of all the other stuff. <laughs> Yes. They'll put the customer and the client and the donor, they'll make all of that work and they won't leave you and they'll lie down in traffic for you and they'll outperform any expectation you had. I'll get the book and I'll read the book. I'm a firm believer. It cannot be a great experience for the client, customer or patient if it is not a great experience for the person providing the service. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I came across some material I had was working on some time ago about branding and how uh, to me, the effective organizations do as much brand stewardship internally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as they do externally. It's not just about the logo on the brochure. It's about every communicate, every touch point we have with our employees, our board members, our stakeholders, our donors. Every touch point is an opportunity to brand the organization and create a brand experience Yes. In fact, every, in fact, I would say every interaction is creating a brand experience. Yes. yes. The question is, are you taking advantage of it? Mm-hmm. We don't do that internally. We just shoot the quick email. That's you know? right. We just, um, it's so transactional. Yeah. I mean, you know, the internal we're, we're transactional and we've got to move beyond that. How many people internally see each other as our customer, as our client, as our consumer? How do we really recognize, you know, we talk about collaboration. Here's a great one as well, especially in the social sector. We talk about, collaboration from one organization to the next internally do we talk about collaboration how do we co-labor internally what does that look like in practice i'm working with a team in charleston about 40 something people strong mm-hmm. a nonprofit who are uh beginning to create some cross-functional teams mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. around some of the what they what they feel are the most exciting pieces of their 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 new strategic plan right. and they 
are, they are, they can't wait nice. to get started on these cross-functional teams and collaborate mm -hmm. and, um, you know, realizing how much they don't know each other because they're all in different departments and right. all in, you know, some of them literally never see each other, you know, over, over months at a time. So they're really excited about, I think, I think they want to do it. They want to work together. Yes. Um, but they don't, they, so many don't feel like they have the bandwidth. Right. So are you finding this whole, I mean, what's the deal with people's, it's like, I can't do one more thing. And I'm like, really? I don't like, I, I want to like, in some cases I believe it. And mm -hmm. I know that it's, I, I, I certainly know that people have a lot on their plates and yet I don't know. Is it, is it really that different? Is it, is it that we're not managing ourselves well, or we're, we don't have the same appetite that. I think that the bandwidth issue comes up every single day. Yeah. Every moment. I mean, every client, every situation comes up. What I am finding is in some situations, no situations the same. There's some changes there, mm -hmm. some differences. However, here's some one element of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. What we see, people are confusing activity with accomplishment. And one reason that the bandwidth problem is existing is because we are inefficient. And we as leaders have to be very careful. What are we rewarding and what are we expecting? And oftentimes, look, even look at old school employee evaluations, performance evals. We reward activity, mm. not accomplishment. Yeah. And so we got to be very careful when people say they're busy, busy doing what? I'm not questioning folks are busy, but I'm always going to say doing what? And there you get deeper. We, I have a, there's an economic model. I'm not going to go into it on, on too much here, but particularly because part of it is visual, but it's a, it's an, you learn an MBA. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure you've been across this in your programs, but the, there's a model in economics called the production possibilities frontier. And it's a curve of mm -hmm. with the capacity that you have in the organization, you can produce X number of this and X number of that. Mm -hmm. If you want to produce more of that, it's at the cost of this. Mm -hmm. And so everything comes with a trade-off, right? right? And right. so um, what I'm finding a lot in, in, and I have for years, is in strategic planning, if it's done, in my opinion, if it's done well, it's not just a reiteration of all your functions. Right. You know, resource development and marketing, those aren't, that's not strategy. That's, right. that's operational imperative. Strategy is what are the, what are the new behaviors that are going to keep us relevant down the road? Mm -hmm. And so people get excited about it. We're going to do this. We're going to get bold. We're going to add this. We're going to create this program. We're going to shift this thing. We're going to, you know, all of that. Right. And then the staff goes, okay, but what's going to give? Because we're already maxed. And right. we're wanting to add you. This strategic plan has add, 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 mm -hmm. multiply, multiply. Right. Where's the divide and subtract? Because we're, we're like, where are you going to get this from? Right. Right. And that's where it comes into time management in, in the production possibilities frontier in the mm -hmm. model. I'll never forget this. Uh, my professor said, taught, taught us that, you know, you've heard there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? In economics, there actually is, there is a term called free lunch mm -hmm. and it exists when you can produce more with your current capacity because you're not using it to its fullest. Right. So it's not that you don't have enough capacity. Mm -hmm. It's that you're using your current capacity in a way that's not optimal for what you're trying to achieve. I get it. I, I, I'm familiar with it. And even in line with that as well, economics, people talk about that law of diminishing return, right? Yeah. Where you start throwing so much at it 
But we have more people. We have more money. Actually, you can have more people, more money, more programs and be more inefficient. That's right. That's right. Get less outgumps. Increase your inefficiency. <laughs> Increase yeah, your right. inefficiency. That's, that's exactly true. right. That's very One thing you were talking reminded me of visualize this quadrant, so to speak. And these four quadrants are program, planning, budgeting, and staffing. Programming, planning, budgeting, and staffing. Okay. All four of those elements of an organization must speak to each other, must be aware of each other. And what happens is we've seen this, and I know you may have seen this in again, strategic planning many years ago used to look like this. Let's take the board away by themselves to the beach somewhere and do a strategic plan. That's the board's function. And the board is going to do strategic planning with no input from the staff and no input from folks who are doing the work or whatever that looks like and so on. No stakeholder engagement, nothing. And the board comes back with this great strategic plan and the person running the budget says, hey, that looks good, but how are we going to pay for it? And person doing program says that's not aligned with what we got to do. And staff says we can't support that. We don't have the capacity. If those four elements are not communicating with each other and connected together in alignment, nothing's going to work. Yeah, that's right. We talk a lot about alignment in our work too. That's, mm -hmm. this is, this is great. I need to see that quadrant. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we talk about, there, there are three things that we're always trying to strive for with our clients and that's clarity, simplicity, and alignment. Mm -hmm. When you get to a, the alignment piece, People think about alignment as the org chart. Right. And it is mm -hmm, mm -hmm. plus a hundred other things. At least a hundred. And it's those things that often we don't, we don't pay attention to. Here's something I share with uh, almost every board I work with. Mm -hmm. I know you've seen this a million times. The people listening to the show are probably experience it. And this is going to be an ouch for a lot of them. You have a strategic planning committee of the board. Right. And um, every three to five years, they, they start their meetings and they get together and they reach out and they send RFPs to Charles Weathers and Patrick Jinks yep. and others. And they say, we need a consultant to come in and facilitate our strategic plan. We're going to do a board retreat and we're going to do a thing and then that. And then Got they, one last and, week. Yep. yep. And they do their, and they build their strategic plan. Mm -hmm. And it's great because Charles Weathers helped them walk through it. It's fantastic. They love it. It's like, mm -hmm. man, this is it. And even the staff loves it. And even everybody loves it. And let's say this is done in April or May. Right. And then in October, the finance committee, they get together to put the budget together for the next year. Mm -hmm. And the first document they hand out, I do this in my board meetings. I ask, I, I ask them to tell me what's the first document you think gets handed out at most, not yours. Cause I know you do it better, but most, not most finance committee budget meetings was the first document that gets held out, mm -hmm. handed out. And, and they'll tell you last year's budget, last year's budget. Pass it out. And um, and now, so our job today is to look at this budget from last year and mm -hmm. make it work for this year, given what we think we're going to raise and what we think we might need to spend. And my question for them is, why is it that the first document that gets handed out at the budget meeting isn't the strategic plan? Mm -hmm. Why is that not the first? Like, here we go. Here, pass it out and say, our job today is to figure out how this organization is going to steward and manage its monetary resources to drive this right. and make this happen. And what we did last year has nothing to do with it. How did they answer that, Patrick? Oh, they, they, they laugh because they know it's true. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the way it gets done. I'm mm -hmm. seen, I've been a part of the organizations. I, mm -hmm. I know it over it's 99, I bet it's 99% of the time. That's the way it's approached. These two committees never, they're not on, they're not even after the same thing. 
Not even. And can I add something to that, Patrick? Yeah. Uh, we, we do similar work, similar thing there. There's another thing that we'll do when folks bring us in to do work with strategic plan or strategy. We request some documents even before we start the work. We have to read and get updated on the organization. So, yeah. for instance, I'll say, send me your most recent strategic planning document. Let me see that. Mm-hmm. Send me your most recently approved board budget and so on and so forth. And we'll mm-hmm. start reading through all these documents, mm-hmm. looking for where do they connect. Mm-hmm. And this is something that just blows people's mind. I'll look at the most recent plan and say, what was done with any of this right here? You want to talk about having some fun. Oh, man. You want to about having some fun. Okay, that plan that you have over there for the last two years, let's walk through here. What about this? What about this? What about? And it's amazing how much, number one, is not done, and number two, is not connected to the budget. You think that has anything to do with it not getting done? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was in, I went through one of Harvard's uh, uh, executive education, part of these week-long mm-hmm. certificate programs, yeah. and uh, one, this was on nonprofit uh, strategic management in nonprofits or something like that. Right. And um, they, one of the pieces of work that we did is in our study group, we were handed ten, the financial statements okay. for 10 nonprofits. Mm-hmm. And these were well-known nonprofits like mm-hmm. national or global right, nonprofits. Right. And, but they didn't have, they were redacted. So we didn't know the name of each of the, and the, so the financial statements were all the core ones, the okay. balance sheet, mm-hmm. the income statement and the cash flow statement. Got it. Handed out 10 sets of financial and our job in the study group right. was to match the 10 nonprofit names with their financial statements just by looking at their balance sheet and their income and their cash flow. So we start looking at this and I, we're just like, and I'm not talking about a budget. I'm talking, you know, the balance sheet yeah, the shows balance. Like where their assets are and right. what they were, you know, and we had, a, we had a CPA in our group who I guess did nonprofit audits or something. And okay. he, he was sitting there real quietly and I could see him going through and he's, he's got his pen and he's making right. little marks and we're all debating the, the other, like 11 of us are all debating. Well, no, this has to be the red cross. Well, this could be the boy scouts, but I don't know they, but who has the red cross has a lot of money, don't they? And mm-hmm. everybody's like, I don't know. We didn't have the first clue how to read financial sheets. CPA, he gets them and he, he throws his paper out in the middle of the, table and he goes there it is and he closed his pen and he put it down I'm like what do you mean he goes those are the answers what, what do you mean like like in 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 three minutes he ha- he had the answers and right. we're like what are you talking about he starts quit he just kept he kept looking at us and, and giving us this this sort of smirky grin and going trust me it's right okay trust me it's right and mm-hmm. we're like okay we trust you but Explain it to us. How How did you come at this? Where's the how? He starts talking to us about, you know, well, who has a lot of receivables? United Way, because they do pledges. Mm. They raise money based on pledges of what people are going to give the following year in their payroll deduction. And so most of their revenue is counted as accounts receivables rather than cash. Mm. If you look at their cash flow and their net income, it's not aligned from a timing standpoint with their balance. I'm like, okay. And he goes, "And, and who owns a lot of land? We're like, well, the Boy Scouts, right? He's right. Now look at these assets over here on the balance sheet. You see cash and then you see land and other equipment. Mm-hmm. Look how high that, I, he, he could analyze that stuff so well. Powerful. And that taught me so much about how the financials tell a story. Mm-hmm. So coming back to your story, the budget, all that is, is the story of how your organization invests in itself. That's it. That's it. It's just a plan. That's right. 
it's it's not considered one of the financial statements uh, as those other three. Right. But but we, that's a that's a big deal for a for a CEO to be able to understand mm-hmm. how the financial statements and how the budget what that says What's about the what the real appetite for your organization, strategy, innovation, mm-hmm. growth, mm-hmm. challenge, risk, boldness. it tell you the real story. That's Get in a boardroom and say, oh, we want to be innovative. I can find out how innovative you are by looking at your financials. Looking at financials. That's exactly right. That's powerful. That's powerful. There's a story there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's at least <laughs> one. <laughs> Probably a lot of people listening to it. Hey, as you're um, out there dealing with boards and staff and teams, and I know you're, I know you're moving more and more, um, not out of the nonprofit sector, but beyond it. I yes. know you're working a lot more with governmental entities. You do some things with business. Right. What are, what's the common ground in terms of what's on, what's, making people struggle out there right now. What do you see in, in terms of some of the biggest challenges that you just keep seeing over and over from leaders and organizations? What's happening right now from your perspective? Intergenerational workplace. Ooh, okay. Say more. Intergenerational, or some people call it multi-generational workforce, however mm-hmm. you want to frame that. Boardrooms and workplaces, at least five generations are working side by side right now. And my understanding is that never happened before in this country. Traditionalists, baby boomers, Gen X, I fall in that category. Millennials, we love talking about them and blaming them for everything. And I don't even think we know what they are anymore. We don't even know. Don't don't <laughs> millennials are just any young person doesn't get yeah. what I get. Any That's article you see that starts with millennials is probably wrong. <laughs> probably. <laughs> and then you have Generation Z or the I generation, which yeah. is my twenty five year old son and below. And so what everyone, literally every sector, every industry, they're looking at this multi-intergenerational workforce and recognizing that they are struggling. And, and when I say struggling, different expectations, work ethic, mindset, a lot of judgment, a lot of stereotypes, a lot of bias built into this. And I call it the intergenerational warfare and we've got to stop it. And we've got to recognize, <laughs> we've got to stop the intergenerational warfare and recognize we all need each other and we can work together. And it's not just the younger folks in the workplace learning from the veterans or the folks who've been around. We all learn from each other. That is going to be the difference maker. Okay. Now let me really challenge you here. Let me push oh. back on something. You said, you said you use the word work ethic. Is that a yep. judgment or is that real? No, that's, that is a judgment. That is a judgment. And what I mean by that is, remember this, there are different paths to the same destination. And when I'm hearing from people, I'm hearing mostly workers over 55, 60, so on saying, those young folks don't work like we worked. Right. They don't have our work ethic. So I'm right. just using that. They don't, and I got to say, stop, wait a second. They may not do it the way you're doing it, but they will still get it done. Let me say that again. They may not do it the way you did it, but is it still getting done? And I've had somebody say, well, yes, it is. But they don't do it my way. <laughs> That's right. They don't work as hard at it. They're not. And, they, and some aren't going, they're not going to. And they're, they're generational stereotypes that I don't want to engage in because people can be different. I mean, I know yeah. millennials that act like boomers and I know boomers that act like Z. However, we've got to recognize that we got to stop judging folks yeah. and give people the path and the autonomy and the space to figure out how they want to get there. Mm. Yeah. We're not, that's, that's one thing about, I think the older generations is that that autonomy that autonomy question is a challenge for, for us mm-hmm. um, because we think autonomy means 
I'm not accountable to anybody and I can do what I want. And that's not what autonomy means when it comes to in the engagement of the workforce. It means I have the greatest degree possible of, of some sort of decision-making influence over how I do my own job. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm yeah. not, I'm, I'm, I'm not just a machine. I'm not just a, 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 a puppet doing, you know, do task a now do task B and now do task C. Here's a question to consider. How much power does the person closest to the decision point have? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big issue in delegation. We'll delegate the task. Mm-hmm. When you delegate the task, you have to delegate the autonomy that goes with completing that task. If you're truly going to lead and develop your people. If not, if not, your people will not be fully empowered to do their work and you will end up doing their job for them. That's right. And then getting upset that they're not doing their work, but they recognize why do it when they're going to come right behind me. Yeah. 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 And then delegation feels like a, a job dump instead of an opportunity. Uh, and since you talk about delegation, I want to share this too, Patrick. Here's something that we're noticing in the workplaces. If you're going to delegate, you also have to develop people. It is unfair to delegate a task or an activity to somebody who has not been developed to complete it. Delegation and professional development go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but don't you want to de- don't you want to push people beyond what they already know? Absolutely, you want to push people, yeah. but but also also, but you don't want to set them up for failure. Right, that's right. No, you have to create some room for failure, though. Yeah, I, yeah I'm good with yeah. failure, but but give them the space. At what resources do they need? What yeah. support yeah. do they need? Yeah. yeah, help them stretch. Help them, yeah, yeah, so that they succeed and see that they can do it. Yeah, I like that. So what else? Uh, by the way, this intergenerational stuff really fascinating. Um, uh, I'll, I'll tie you on to someone else if you don't already know them. Raven Solomon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard her at Nika White's diversity an mm-hmm. inclusion summit in Greenville several years ago okay. four or five now, I think. And, uh, she, she does a deal. She's a millennial. She's yeah. a, she's an African African American millennial who wrote a book called leading your parents. Mm, love it. Love it. Because she found herself thrown into this situation where she was leading a team of people who were all old enough to be her parents. Mm-hmm. And she was the leader of that group. Wow. And so the generational, uh, challenges that she felt with that and what she learned. Right. So that, that sent her off into a whole mission around helping people understand these generational differences and, mm-hmm. and a great book in the light of George Floyd and, and so many things that have gone on in the country over the last two, you know, several years, she has added a component mm-hmm. where she talks about the intersection mm-hmm. between, uh, uh, between I think race equity or, or race okay. between race mm-hmm. and the intergenerational dynamic. And I got to get that book. Hugely no. fascinating. Well, I don't know that there's a book on that one yet. Okay. Leading your parents is there is her first book, okay. but uh, followers. She's got, she's got a podcast. She's got a whole thing, mm-hmm. but, and she's, she, her episode on my show was about how she, she walked through. It was so eye opening. She walked through how the different generations view social justice. Right. And the Z generation, mm-hmm. It is more focused on that than any generation before it. And so there's a judgment, just as you said a moment ago, mm-hmm. that the Xers and the boomers and the traditionalists, they don't care about social justice. Right. Not true. Mm-hmm. The difference is that each generation has its moment that defines, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the whole, the, the, the whole MLK, the, 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 the civil rights movement civil of rights. the sixties, mm-hmm. 
that was social justice. Are you right. kidding me? Like, right. don't don't have a Z say that there wasn't social justice back in the 60s. There was a focus on it. It was different. It looked like this. Right. Then it looked like, you know, she, she walks you through how affirmative action, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or these are generational approaches right. based on a perspective that we come at. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a matter of... Does this generation care more about people than than another generation? Right. I love how she broke that down. It's mm-hmm. like no, they just have they come at it from a different. Their view is different. Their worldview is simply not the same. Right. I heard Bill Maher on a meme the other day, and you may have seen this. He says, uh, he says, uh, I don't. Uh, he says, no matter how, what does he say? He says, no matter how woke you think you are. Mm-hmm. You're tolerating things today that 25 years from now will make you cringe. If you look at the trajectory of the world, that's how it's worked every time, every time, every single time. Like the things we, the things that we cringe at now were like, we couldn't imagine that being inappropriate or, or immoral or unethical or disrespectful or non-include. We couldn't have imagined it then we see it through a different prism now when we look when we look back on it. I just thought that was an interesting comment. What are we gonna say what are we gonna say twenty five years from now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about the way we think and do things today? I was listening to somebody talking about to that point, they were talking about environmental justice and, and some other things related to, you know, climate and the environment and things of that nature. And they said twenty to twenty five years from now, we're gonna be looking back saying things like, Wait a minute, Charles, you drove a car by yourself you had that big old truck parked outside and you used that much gas and you were by yourself right now. I'm like, it's my truck it's my car. I'm driving it. They said 20, 25 years now, somebody's going to probably be judging you. Yeah. How could you do that? How could you have done that knowing what we were facing? Yeah. I never thought through that before. Yeah, I don't know right. if it's going to happen or not, but they said things like that are going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. We think of it. We've often thought of it, that generational thing in terms of things like technology and you know, innovation and things, but social justice is another lens to see all that through. Anyway, just that, that whole intergenerational challenge that you talk about, I think combined with the social and political conversations in our country right now, that's a, that's a powerful intersection that I I still want to understand more about. And think about how all of that is surfacing in the workplace and what people are demanding from the workplace. And people are saying, I don't want just a job. But not saying that. Like, so they're, they're feeling that, but mm-hmm. they don't know how to say it. And this generation doesn't understand why that person is. The, oh, man. Yeah. yeah. There's, work, there's a lot of work to do there, Patrick. Yeah, there a lot is. of work. Yeah, there yeah. is. So what, what else? So that's, that's one of the challenges you're seeing consistently. What are, what are some of the other things you find yourself helping people with the most? If I had, you know, thinking about our podcast on my way up here today and earlier today, if I had to do a word cloud on my most recent conversations with some coaching clients, executives and leaders, the big, bold words in that word cloud would be bold, courage, stretch. Hmm. Those three words are popping up everywhere. Bold, courage and stretch. And as a matter of fact, I think a few minutes ago in our conversation, Patrick, you said something about bold governance and boards being bold and a board strategy, a bold strategy and all of that. What I am finding is people are using those words and not defining them. Not, oh, def- yeah. not along def- with everything else that they use and don't define, not, not define. And again, the word sounds good, mm-hmm. but what does bold really look like in practice? 
What does it really mean when it comes to bold from programming to budgeting to finances to staffing to partnership? What does bold really mean? And there's a space there where there's this line where leaders are getting to and saying, uh, I don't know if I meant that. Can we come back over here a little bit? And as leaders, when they step out with bold and stretch and courage and basically announce it to the team without knowing what they're announcing, they damage their credibility when the time comes and they back away from the line. Dang it, Charles. Now we need another hour because that, that one, you really lit me up with that one it, because it, because it works the other way too, where the things we think are bold those those are table stakes. Come on, man. That's why right. Are, like, why are why is that bold? Right. Why is that bold? I, right. I have an organization. <laughs> this isn't to slight them because we had a we actually did some one. They actually did some wonderful work stretching themselves. Okay. But ha, had an organization not long ago that was talking about you know ramping up their resource development efforts and doing more major gift development. And I said, okay, define for me major gift. Mm-hmm. They had one, right? Pause, <laughs> pause right there. Let me ask you, in your experience, what's typically, what? how would you define what most organizations call a major gift? Oh, okay. So first of all, it's going to depend on the organization, mm-hmm. uh, the organization maturity. What number jumps in your head, right? right when off I the heard bat? major gift, I went to $25,000. Okay, got it. Theirs was two hundred fifty. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. That was a major gift for them. Okay. And so, you know, and we, 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 I paused on that and I said, so, so tell me, let's talk about your community. We broke down the population of their community. What do you know about the effective buying income and the per capita income and the, the, what do you know about, about wealthy, active community investors in your community? What research have you done? None, you know, what if someone who's given you $250 a year, because that's all you're asking them. Mm-hmm. has the potential to give you $250,000 mm-hmm. to endow a program for such and such an X that you're trying to do. Right. Like, Oh, that would be amazing. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you, do you, can you, is that, does that, does that exist? Does that person exist in mm-hmm. your, it, it just the whole mindset of what's considered a major gift in the United way world where I spent a couple of decades, right. it was $10,000. Right. Okay. It was the, right. the Alexis to Tocqueville society, $10,000. And some United ways even said that's the Tocqueville society, but a major gift for us is a hundred grand. Yep. Yep. Right. But $250. And so I'm thinking when you say bold, bold means different things it to different means, people that's right exactly right and i'm like what are we missing why is this sector moving i mean my, my own mission construct you can find it on my website yeah. i say it out loud right how slow this sector moves oh my goodness oh my goodness it, it's and i think it's because we don't believe uh, in in some in some instances it's because we've got this constraint of man if i got 250 dollars Right. Right. If I got $10,000. Right. Right. What I went to a foundation, Charles, when I was in Danville, Virginia, we asked him for a million dollars over five years. Mm -hmm. It was an early childhood initiative. Mm -hmm. The foundation said, no, I don't think so. We were like, "Eh, yeah, hang our head, you know, disappointing. But but, but then he goes, we might be interested in doing like 5 million over three years. Okay. I was like, oh, he goes, you're, you're not, you know, like, do you want to do something or don't you? 
And I think that's where a lot of leaders need to go is that we, we, we tend to, we limit ourselves all the time. The, the nonprofits, in my opinion, too much, too many of us, not all, but too many in the social sector operate from a scarcity mindset. Absolutely. And, and that scarcity mindset and we're trained, we're conditioned with the scarcity mindset and, and what, what can we get or do for $500 or $200? Like n- nothing. And, and then, and then you, you and I know this Patrick, we've seen it. People try to take this issue, this systemic challenging generational issue and say, we're going to change it in one grant cycle with $5,000. No, you're not. No, you're not. Yeah. But you might create some interest and some momentum with that that might lead you to something bigger. So it's, it's, you know, I, this is a tough, I I know you, you share this, this is a tough conversation because we're not trying to insult any nonprofits out there. It's not, it's not the idea or, or, or diminish um, what you feel is a big success in a fundraiser or a, or a $250 gift. I don't want to diminish that. My thing is what if we what if we saw the real possibility out those people i mean people are giving millions and millions of dollars to philanthropy why not mine you know why not this why not literacy why not why not uh sexual assault why not homelessness why not you know environment why do we see ourselves as worthy of that investment yeah do we see ourselves as worthy of that investment? Yeah. And, and and even the word donation, which is nothing wrong, take the donation funding, but there's it's exactly. an investment. Exactly. That's right. That's right. If we view what if we viewed ourselves in terms of this investment, what's the ROI and yeah. the social ROI? How, what does that look like? Maybe yeah. we just change that paradigm a little bit. Well, I know a lot of nonprofit uh, executives are out there going. Charles, Patrick, it's easy to sit behind a microphone as a nonprofit consultant and coach and say, we should be going. That's right. I did. But you know, my thing is I, we're, you and I are in this because we want, we want more too. And we do believe, I I think we believe that there's more that's possible and we're trying to help the clients that we serve see what's possible and what's potential and not just iterative, uh, iterative growth, you know, yes. a little bit better at this. And we, we did this a little bit better. That's all good, but boy, the, the problems we're trying to solve in our, in our communities, in our world today. Patrick, you started off by saying 19, 20 years in business, the mm-hmm. Weathers group, uh, mm-hmm. April of 2023, we will celebrate 20 years in business. And in preparation for our 20 year anniversary, we still have plans and evaluations and information from 20 years ago. We're going through it. We're looking at it. Yeah. And we're looking at what growth has taken place. What's changed? What are the most pressing problems? We're looking at surveys from boards and leaders and so on. Patrick, some of the same things people said in April of 2003, they're saying today. I'm I'm trying to remember if it was you and I that had this conversation. We might have had this conversation because you're reminding me. When I got to Danville um, at the United Way there in Danville, Virginia, I went back and read the minutes of uh, they 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 had the, they had a in a in a really nice bound hard bound book yeah all of the minutes from every board meeting since the inception of the organization which was May 15 1921 wow or 22 i forget 21 or 22 okay. when it was the community chest okay one of the first things i did when i got there was i read cover to cover the minutes mm-hmm. from May 15 1921 or 2 to the date that I got there. Right. When I got into the 1960s, around 1965, there mm-hmm. was a board chair who was 
still active in the community, and he was one of the major givers to United Way even when I got there. He was the board chair in 1965. Mm -hmm. And the conversations they were having, you know, back in 1965, they almost made a transcript of the board meeting, right? Right, right. You know, <laughs> Charles said that such and such, a, and you, know, you had all this. And and the, the, the comments about, are we really moving the needle by just giving the same amount of money to the same 30 agencies every year? Mm. In 1965. 1965. I get into the United Way world and around the 2000 mark, the network is gone. You know, we need to do more than just divvy out money to 30 agencies every year. Right. We need to move the issues. Right. How do I like, we need to change the game in the community. What's changing as a result over a hundred years. Right. In 1965, they were having the same conversations we were having in the board meeting in 2002. Like, man, why? Mm. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard work. I've been there. Like you I, said, I, it's not judgment. It. It's not judgment. We're trying to help, and everybody's trying to help. We can get there together. Um, well, look, we got a game to go to. I think and, so. Uh, yeah. It looks like the weather's going to hold. Although, man, if the if the podcast listeners could have seen out that window just right when we started this show, <laughs> I, started wondering, watch. <laughs> I started wondering if a, if a tree was going to fall in this building. But, um, uh, Charles, what, what's, uh, what would you say – to the listeners today in what you're experiencing, what you're seeing, what's a, what's a word of inspiration, um, possibility challenge. What would you leave our listeners with today? I want to encourage all your listeners to take a look at their business card and take a look at the seat that they are sitting in right now. They have a platform. They have a seat. They have a position. They have a title. They have a platform. What will they do with it while they have it? Cause they will not have it forever. And right now I'm going to encourage, I'm going to challenge you. Make the difference you can with what you have where you are because you will not be there forever. Don't think you will. Do it now. All right. Like, why aren't, we need to co-host this, Charles. This is too good. It's too good. And these, these, are the kinds of, these are the kinds of conversations I, I, I think we need to be having um, and then some. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Thank, thank you, my you. friend. Appreciate right, you. People can go back and rewind this and just get just enrichment after enrichment. And, um, and I, you know, one of the things I appreciate about this conversation is we actually didn't, we didn't solve much. We didn't no. bring a lot of answers. I think we we're just bringing to the surface. What's what's actually on people's minds and, um, it's okay. Like we're we haven't figured it out. That's right. That's all right. That's but good. we're working on it. Thanks, Charles. I really do appreciate it. Uh, always uh, always a pleasure to have you. We need to do this more often. We really do. Let's do it. Appreciate you, my friend. All right, man. Hey, folks, get out there and lead <laughs> best you can. Hey, let Charles Weathers know. Uh, seriously, uh, you're, you're just not going to find uh, you're just not going to find better stuff out there. I mean, sure. Call on me anytime. But listen, uh, you cannot go. Charles does. Charles works with areas that I don't work with particularly in government, a lot in business. I, I consider him to be more of an expert when it comes to like board governance and how a board really needs to be functioning. Um, Charles will, Charles, will, he'll give you a kick in the pants that you bit, need. I, I, I think that. Um, th is it weather? What's the website? Weathersgroup.com. Yeah, Weathers Group, not the Weathers Group. Yeah, yeah. So weathersgroup.com. Charles Weathers, uh, check him out. When, when's, when, when's the book coming? God, I just, yeah. I keep, uh, 
Thank hey, you. listeners, let me tell you something. I'm telling this guy. Push me, push me. Push me he, he's got to do it. I mean, you hear me, what he's me, got. Push me, push me. <laughs> All, right. All right. Lead on, folks. Thank you, brother.